0: The Santo Daime Church is a very popular church. It's from Brazil. They do ayahuasca and sing hymns to Mother Mary. And in Ashland, Oregon, where I grew up, there's a lawsuit in 1996 where there is a parents of a child were divorced. The child was a 10-year-old girl. The mother was taking the 10-year-old daughter to the Santo Daime Church where they were feeding The daughter ayahuasca which is like a scheduled drug that would normally land an adult in prison for taking it yet they're feeding it every month to kids 10 years and younger the divorced father found this out and was very upset that the mother was taking their daughter to some weird cult and feeding her illegal drugs so he sued the church and lost the case because they couldn't provide any evidence that feeding children the ayahuasca was causing any harm. No harm, no crime. It's your religious right and it's your right to privacy. And it's when only when someone makes a claim that you've harmed them that the government gets involved because they have an interest in protecting their citizens from harm.
1: this is a podcast for you this is a podcast for me this is a podcast for the world we want to see this is an ode to the commons from which we have fallen this is a prayer for our return for the return of a smile for the return for a while to the village to the passion to the expression to the journey to the spirit my name is aliko i'm an event producer designer, photographer, coach, serial entrepreneur, community curator, and anti-capitalist somatic historian. In this podcast, we explore the many threads of what holds us all in the fabric of life, spirit, business, liberation, music, culture, nature, and more. We the people join you the people for the people podcast. Good day, y'all. It's an awesome day to be alive on planet Earth during the fall of capitalism, where you can do kind of whatever you want, with the exception of being shackled by many systems of oppression and control. Regardless, I hope that you are finding such amazing pockets of joy and laughter and beauty, because that is the revolution. That is... The space, along with holding actions, along with shifts in consciousness, along with art, beauty, magic, along with standing up for what you believe in, joy and art and friendship and connection is what will keep us resourced and alive and well, along with nature, to do the big work we have in front of us. Which leads me to the intro for this episode of For The People Podcast. This episode is a recording from a Zoom call, where I will, I'm about to introduce Teo Fallen Star, gave me and a group of my friends the absolute low down on how to get out of this system, how all the loopholes, not all, but a lot of the loopholes within capitalism that no one wants to educate us about and tell us about, that we haven't learned so get ready seriously buckle in seriously you're want to gonna want to like revolutionize some shit after this if anyone wants to talk to me directly about it send me an email you can find that on the for the people podcast website which is under currently under my website aliko a-l-i-k-o west w-e-s-t-e.com you'll see my email there on the homepage email me because this shit is ridiculous and curious what we can do with it. Teo, thank you so much for letting me use this recording for this episode. And without further ado, I will introduce Teo. Teo Fallenstar is a visionary entrepreneur and new paradigm business consultant who specializes in common law legal strategies and structures such as private churches, ministries, private membership associations, trusts, decentralized autonomous organizations on the blockchain, and other legal technologies for artists, change agents, and humanitarian organizations to build a better world and leave a positive legacy for future generations. Teo has over a decade of experience as a consultant and wealth strategist for entrepreneurs, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. He is passionate about teaching spiritual and legal liberation by coming into right relationship with our straw man, legal fiction, understanding the significance of religious freedom and the separation of church and state and how to operate in the world as the natural living person that is bestowed by the creator with inalienable rights, according to the United States Constitution. Teo works to empower individuals and organizations worldwide from international eco-village and retreat destinations, inventors of breakthrough technology, to indigenous tribes as a part of building what is known as the Parallel Society. He is currently building a new platform to unite people working in this space called the Sovereign Soul Society. Anyone interested is encouraged to reach out and get involved. Teo's info will be linked at the end of this episode. And without further ado, check this shit out, y'all. The four of us have come together to, to store this vision for our whole community here in Seattle, um, which includes a lot of people uh, that you also know, many of them. Yeah, I'm curious if Alo, if you want to speak to some of the nuances of the ways that we desire to listen and connect to the land and support nervous system, like reculturing as part of this project. And yeah, it's, it's expansive and it's beautiful. We have a really beautiful, solid foundation of principles and mission and values and sociocracy and ways of being and art infused. Yeah a deeply art infused container. And this is one of the steps. It's creating a structure so that we can um, go about doing what we want to do on some land for the world, for our, our community. This is like our retirement plan. This is
0: everything.
2: Yeah. We need an opportunity to reconnect with our ways of being with land. I believe that land is the greatest teacher. Nature is the greatest teacher. And so I have this idea that we find ourselves on land and we move very slow, so slow that we are aware of the plants around us and how they relate with one another. We understand kind of what's going on in the soil before we start moving things around. We understand what the trees need before we start moving things around. As more of us end up on the land and this process goes, that Paying attention, slowing down all of the lessons that we'll learn through moving the earth the way that is like in good ways, those will ripple out into our relationships. And I feel like that's like a piece of it. And that's a piece of like why it's important to listen to the land that deeply. And that restores birthrights that have been taken from so many people because of colonization and genocide over time. So... That's like a big piece of it. I might need some more like hoax and prods and directions for the hamster on my wheel. Cause I'm just like my heart's racing. I'm really excited about this.
1: Yeah. Cool. And Lux and Jordan, is there anything else you want to add?
3: I guess just to speak to the name of the project, Mother Tree, we see it as this is, you know, there might be one or like many land-based communities that are connected as we all are returning to the earth and you know, of necessity too, as our systems around us are collapsing and mother tree, like mother trees are trees that die and then have other trees birth out of them. This vision, like as the death of our society is happening, like we're birthing this like rebirth of what has been lost. And also that, that this will nourish and feed other trees, other communities and imagining ways that we can make this self-sustaining through the events and things that we can host on the land and bringing people beyond the people who live there into community there. So really having an extended reach more than just an intentional community that's quite insular, which can often be the case, having it be like a hub and a place for people to get activated and reculture themselves or come from refuge and be able to extend and connect with like other groups doing similar things
0: a beautiful metaphor and visual of the mother tree
2: and the slow build is about building trust cultivating trust in our nervous systems of one another adrian marie brown says moving at the speed of trust i like to say moving at the speed of our nervous systems us being like aware of what we want and need in moments, and moving at the place where we can meet each other. Even as I listen to how dreamy it sounds, there's something that's very different about what this feels like, as opposed to any other project I've ever been in a part in, is this, we're all on the same page so far, and imagine the people that are coming in are on the same page about wanting to reconnect with the land, figuring out how to live in right relationship with one another, ourselves in the land. And also each being able to like do it in our own way, not looking for a cult and everybody doing the same thing, but where can we express and share our resources in a good way? Like how can we unlearn some of the things and be held? How can we not heal in isolation, but know that we can be held in community? And there's so much more than words, there's behaviors that follow those things. And I feel really confident in our group and like sharing that wisdom and having other people share their gifts in good ways. Yeah.
4: And I'll just share, I've got nothing to add. That was awesome. I try to take notes on everything. That's actually the first time we've shared out anything to someone else, Teo. We can remember this moment. Oh, it's recording anyway. I didn't have to be so diligent. I didn't realize that, but but hearing each of you three put some um, voice to this little baby we've been nurturing was beautiful, and so I'm just sitting feeling grateful for that. Yeah, so thank you, and uh, yeah, we'll flow from whatever's there. Curious tale of, of how that landed with you. Um, almost as a uh, before we even flow anything else of just what that brought up in your body hearing that as kind of a guinea pig because we haven't shared that out before. Before, Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. It's, It's beautiful. It's exciting. I'm passionate about these kinds of projects that are all about creating culture and leaving a legacy and building what a lot of people are calling the parallel society, which is, you know, building this system that will sustain us. Instead of tearing down the old systems, it's building the new systems. The old systems become obsolete and living in right relationship with the earth and all of that. It's exactly up my alley. And I'm passionate about supporting people who are doing things like what you beautiful people are doing. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm proud of all of us for sure. Tail. I was curious, maybe you could start by like explaining just from the basics, like this church structure and how it operates outside of what's possible within it. And we do have some questions for you, but I figure maybe like you can just start about wh- wh- how you've been, yeah, how you've been in this work and what you've seen and what's possible and anything you want to share around that.
0: Sure. You want me to start with the extremely basic points from Uh, yeah, just no no one here has like prior experience or knowledge about private law and religious freedom and stuff like that. Right.
4: Not really. No, I have some experience coming into the organizational development thing. Like I've, I've I've created a co-op for a couple different like partnerships and some community governance structures, but not coming from this lens of a religious kind of focus. Okay. Yeah
0: feel free anyone to just jump in at any point and interrupt me with questions or clarifications. Cause I can just rant on tangents, you know, all day. I came into this work because I'm a kind of person that grew up in a very alternative culture in remote Southeast Southwest Oregon. And I, instead of you know going to school and getting a degree and all this kind of stuff, I sought out mentors in my life and I've had business mentors, spiritual mentors. And one of my mentors was my legal mentor and he really helped me understand what's going on in the world in terms of the legal matrix that we all live in modern society. And how it's like a spell that's been cast over humanity. And there's a lot of deception involved and a lot of knowledge of our natural rights that have been lost over the decades. And so I studied with him many years ago and I formed my own church, which I've been living through for about 15 years now. And I've been helping other people make their churches for about 10 years. And the basic point here is that there are two sides of the law, the legal landscape, let's say. There's the public side and the private side. And the public side is what everybody knows about. It's the world of corporations and regulations and statutes and ordinances and acts and all these things that we think of as law, but are not actually law. They are rules of commerce that apply to commercial interactions. And we are considered instruments of commerce through what's known as our straw man. And our straw man is a corporate fiction that was created in our name through the creation of our birth certificate and our social security number. And that straw man is your name spelled with all uppercase letters, all capitals. And that's what you see on your driver's license, on your passport, and on any correspondence that the government ever sends you. It's always addressed to your name in all capital letters. Because they're addressing the legal fiction that was created to represent you, the flesh and blood living human being, within the law matrix, within the public side of law, which is all about commerce. So there's a deep rabbit hole with that, that we don't need to get into in this conversation. But the point here is that the private side of the law is also known as common law, law of the land. It's where contract law resides. And in common law, Uh, we are not considered commercial instruments. We're considered human beings, living persons. In 1933, there was a Securities Act that was passed that introduced a distinction between the legal person and the natural person. And that's where the whole idea that a corporation is a person comes from. right? And that's where your straw man comes from. Throughout history of this country and English common law in general, people acted in the world through common law instruments, through private contracts, through private associations, and things like that, which had a different regulatory landscape than commercial transactions. And that law in 1933 was really the nail in the coffin where humanity became separated from the knowledge of the natural person and common law, the private side of law, and how to act in the world through that system of law. Um, and there's a lot of very powerful, influential organizations that are private associations, not a corporation of any type. And that would be organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous, Boy Scouts of America, and every political uh, party is also a private association and tons of other sports leagues and private interest groups and things like that. And the reason this is important is because what I've seen is a lot of people creating beautiful works in the world, trying to change the world in a beautiful way that sort of thing, humanitarian projects, visionary new paradigm projects. Throughout my life, I've watched a lot of these projects come and go, eco-village projects, and I've seen a lot of them fall apart for similar reasons that have to do with trying to bring forth a spiritual gift into the world through a corporate vessel that is designed to maximize profits. It's not designed to change the world, to bring forth your spiritual gifts in the world and that sort of thing. And when you try to bring your spiritual gifts through a corporate vehicle, you're creating a contradiction, right? Um, It's the wrong vehicle for that job. And when people get together and they want to change the world together from a place of authentic um, heart space and spiritual longing, and then what they do is they create a corporate entity and divide up shares and ownership models and who gets what, then in our subconscious, we are invoking the paradigm of the corporate entity. And you notice people start to be like, when money gets involved in stuff, people start to be like, well, am I getting enough? What's in it for me? Why are they getting more than what I get? And then things begin to break down from there. And on a deeper level, it's about resolving the conflict that happens Internally, when we say to ourselves, on the one hand, we say, I'm a divine, sovereign being. But then on the other hand, when any authority in the world asks us to identify ourselves, we say, I am this corporate fiction that is owned by the state and beholden to the laws of commerce which one are you? Are you the divine sovereign being or are you a corporate fiction owned by the state? And that creates this conflict within ourselves where we don't know how to embody the divine sovereign beingness in the physical 3D world of business and corporations and governments and all this kind of stuff. And that's because the knowledge of the common law, the private side of law, and how to identify yourself as the natural person rather than the legal person has been lost to the masses. So in there's a lot of people that have, you know, researched online about the strong man and the sovereign man and all these kinds of things. And there's a lot of information out there that is that is conflicting and that I don't agree with. And I'm just going to give you some, some perspective here on that, which is that there's a lot of people that say, you need to burn your straw man in order to cancel your slave contract, if you will. And I don't agree with that because that, creates a bunch of problems, right? You basically become a pirate in the system, if you do that, right? The the system sees you as a pirate, kind of like a virus. And there's a lot of problems that come with burning your straw man. You're no longer a citizen of the United States. You have no way to operate in the world. Instead of doing that, because it's really not necessary, what you need is a way to identify yourself to the government to law enforcement agencies or other agents of the world, we'll say, as the natural person, instead of your ID card, which says you are a commercial entity beholden to the laws of commerce, the commercial codes. And there's a number of ways that you can do that, uh, such as creating an affidavit that swears that you are a natural person and your name is spelled with upper and lowercase letters. But there's also um, the religious freedom aspect that gives you that opportunity. and, And I'll get into how that works. But there's the main instrument that people use in order to enter into the private space is called a private association. And a lot of people are talking about PMAs, which is Private Membership Association, And you'll find a lot more information online about PMAs than you will about free churches. But a free church or a 508 C1A ministry, there's a bunch of different words people use to describe this, is essentially a private association that is formed instead of on a special interest, um, it's formed for religious reasons. It's a religious association. And so what we're doing here is we are creating an association by exercising our right to freedom of association, which is the right to to create associations in private. And by forming it as a religious association, a spiritual association, we are also invoking the freedom of religion. And the separation of church and state. And this use again, this used to be common knowledge about how people can operate in the world, and it's just been lost. And I'm just helping people remember that this is something that we can do. And when you operate in private, what that means is you don't have the permission of the government to seek to, in order to exist, you're considered a non-commercial entity, which means you're not existing under the commercial codes. You're existing under common law. And in common law, the deal is if there's no harm that's created, there is no crime. Right. Under the commercial codes, there are all kinds of crimes that don't involve harm. Right. Um, Traffic laws. If you run through a stop sign and no one sees you do it, it's the middle of the night and no one's around. Nobody was harmed by you running through a stop sign, but you violated a statute or a code. And so you can be punished for that. That is because when they ask you who you are, when they pull you over, let's say, you say, I am the corporate fiction operating under a license to drive, which means that you're beholden to the laws of commerce, which are traffic laws. If you're the natural person, then you literally do not need a driver's license to drive a car because what people don't realize is we all have something called the right to travel, but only natural persons have the right to travel. Legal persons require a license to travel or to drive as it's called. So that's just one example of how far we've gotten divorced from what the original design is it's you don't need a driver's license to drive but nobody knows that even the police officers generally don't know that that's how far we've been removed from that knowledge but if enough people were to uh embody that knowledge and tell the police officers hi officer i'm the natural person exercising my right to travel then they would have to deal with that reality. And they couldn't just keep violating our rights and insisting we need a license to drive when you don't. Um, And so that's just like an example to illustrate some points. Now, when you create a religious organization, a church or a ministry or what's called a faith-based organization, In the Constitution, it says that right is bestowed by God. It is not given by the government. And so you literally do not need permission from anyone to create a private law association, whether that's a PMA or your own church or a trust. A trust is something that people are familiar with that also is a private law instrument. When you create a trust, it's legal contracts that you form usually with a lawyer that creates a certain legal landscape for yourself by which you could protect assets and property and stuff so they can't be taken from you through lawsuit. An association is a legal contract by which you declare yourself as existing in the private and you invite other people to associate with you, and you create a system of laws that govern that association. When you create an association that invokes religious freedom, you have more levels of protection than just if you were in the private, because now you have religious, you're in the private, but you also have religious freedom. And what that gives you is Number 1 these kinds of churches are automatically tax exempt nonprofit entities so you do not need to have uh the government give you tax exempt nonprofit status it is automatically assumed and you have zero tax liability you have a mandatory exemption from ever filing a tax return. So you get to exist in private without the government's permission. You get to function as a nonprofit and take in donations and give people tax deductible receipts. And you can exercise your religious freedom, which can be, almost anything that you want as long as you are not causing anyone harm harm becomes the threshold by which you have to live by rather than you have to fill out the right tax forms every year you have to report your finances you have to live according to certain regulations that the government places on you such as where you can get your money from, where you can spend your money. If you're a nonprofit corporation, the government can take away your nonprofit status just if your overhead costs are too high. Something totally arbitrary like that, a number of things. Whereas in this world, because you're private, the government has no access to your finances. They never gave you permission to exist, so they can't take away your permission to exist. That you're not filing a tax return, so they don't know how much money you have or how you're spending it or what you're doing it. That's your private business. And you can hold ceremonies and do plant-based medicine and all these kinds of things that normally would not be legal according to the law but are lawful for you as long as you're causing no harm. So I'll just give you another brief example about that. The Santo Daime Church is a very popular church. It's from Brazil. They do ayahuasca and sing hymns to Mother Mary. And in Ashland, Oregon, where I grew up, there's a lawsuit in 1996 where there is parents of a child were divorced The child was the 10-year-old girl. The mother was taking the 10-year-old daughter to the Santo Daime Church, where they were feeding the daughter ayahuasca, which is like a scheduled drug that would normally land an adult in prison for taking it, yet they're feeding it every month to kids 10 years and younger. The divorced father found this out and was very upset that the mother was taking their daughter to some weird cult and feeding her illegal drugs. So he sued the church and lost the case because they couldn't provide any evidence that feeding children the ayahuasca was causing any harm. No harm, no crime it's your religious right and it's your right to privacy and it's when only when someone makes a claim that you've harmed them that the government gets involved because they have an interest in protecting their citizens from harm but when it comes to things like uh commercial regulations and all these little arbitrary rules about how you're supposed to operate That's all your own private business, according to the government. And they don't want to get involved because the threshold to challenge someone on their religious freedom is exceedingly high. And there's a church that exists to kind of prove this point about how the government has no business in your claims of religious freedom. That church is the. Church of the Pastafarians, and the Church of the Pastafarians worships the one-eyed flying spaghetti monster that is a big meatball that floats in space and has one big eye and spaghetti tentacles and a colander hat, right? Now, obviously, nobody takes this religion seriously. But they have over 3,000 chapters in North America and no government agency is coming after them to challenge the legitimacy of their religious claims, which give them tax-exempt status. Because the, that right for them to do that is bestowed by God, not the government. And the government is also considered one nation under God. So by creating this kind of religious freedom church, you're creating a legal document with the creator as you've defined that for yourself. And that becomes your operating contract with which you work in the world rather than your contract with the nation state that considers you a corporate fiction and that being the contract that you operate in the world. So I'll just leave it at that and then see how that lands and what questions come up. Someone had a comment. Great. Whoa. Just feeling that land.
3: Yeah, definitely love everything you shared and feel so inspired by the reclaiming. Like I also do consent education work so like harm being the threshold is like that I think is like the basis of ethics that we should all live under and yeah so that's really inspiring and aligned for me to hear that and as far as questions while we have you here I am curious on the just the technical side of things like where is the money kept in a specific place I've heard of trusts or like, how do you keep your money in a place where the government can't track it or whatever? And also then can a church itself own land or, you know, sell things or I guess just the like financial specifics a little more. And then we had, this might be separate and I can bring this back up, but we also had a question about building codes and if that
0: kind of stuff is also- exempt great question yes you can purchase and own land all over the world really these kinds of organizations can operate in all what are known as hague convention countries which is pretty much any country you'd want to ever operate in the the ones that aren't included are like cuba north korea Saudi Arabia, you know, places like that aren't, didn't sign the Hague Convention. So yeah, you could own property. In the United States, if a church owned property, it could be exempted from paying property tax. And so that's a huge benefit. I'm working with some people that uh, created a church for outside of Austin, Texas. They bought a big property out there to create a permaculture community And their property taxes are more than $30,000 a year. So they are beyond thrilled that they can get all of that exempted by having the church own the land. How this works is the church applies to the IRS for an EIN, and the EIN is a tax ID number, basically, that allows you to open bank accounts and do all the financial stuff. That application for the EIN from the IRS is the only time that you ever need to typically uh, interact with a government agency, and it's just to obtain the EIN. And when you do that, you obtain a church EIN. It's a special kind of EIN that is registered to a church. And so what that does is it allows you to go and open bank accounts and brokerage accounts and all that kind of stuff where you can trade, you can use that to you know trade commodities or stocks or whatever. <clears throat> but under normal conditions, if you have a bank account that has, let's say millions of dollars flowing through it and you're purchasing real estate, stuff like that. The IRS can see that you're doing that. It's on the public record when you purchase land and stuff. And the bank might report suspicious activity in your account or whatever. Um, and then normally they would be like, oh, interesting. They got all these millions to purchase property, but they've never given us a tax return. Why is that? let's write them a letter. And if they don't respond, we'll audit them. That's normal conditions. Under these conditions, they look at your account and they see that your EIN is a church account. And so they know that you have a mandatory exemption from filing a tax return. And so you'll they'll never get a tax return from you, And they expect that. And so they don't write you a letter and they don't audit you because they understand you have that mandatory exemption by looking at your EIN. That's how that works. You just get the EIN and you go to a bank or credit union, and you just go through the bank as normal, but you just don't worry about filing taxes and being bothered about it. Um, Teo, I'm curious yeah.
1: if you can explain like the internal church systems, kind of like the, like the ministry and like the LLC and like how all that can work together.
0: Like networking different types of structures together in a strategy? I, yeah, well, I
1: Jordan has some of the f- more financial like structure knowledge, but yeah. I just know that, you know, Can you explain like what it, like the ministry portion of it, like how we can, like, how does it stand within the church structure
0: itself? Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to quickly answer the building code zoning law thing first, which is that you have to follow those rules because like building codes are designed to protect people from harm. You cannot build a structure that could collapse and kill the people that live in it or are hanging out inside. Um, But you can apply for an exemption to the, the zoning laws in order to build like a church chapel on the property so that you can have hundreds of people gather in that property where normally you can't do that if it's residential. Um, And that's something you have to work out with your local county, which involves, you know, a bit of ass kissing and, you know, bringing them pies or muffins or something. So they like you. So they'll give you that exemption essentially is what it boils down to because it's their discretion. So moving on to the, the question about the how the finances and the structure works, basically for all intents and purposes, the church. Ministry org functions like a nonprofit, so you want to use it like you would use a nonprofit, which means you don't want to use it for a for profit business venture. You want to do things like events and services. When I do my consulting, like I'm doing now. This is my service to the world. So I'm acting as a minister, administering my mission in the world, which is helping people with the knowledge that I have. Um, so any kind of like personal interactions like that can be service work, events, whether they're live events or online, are totally nonprofit compatible. You just tell people the event is a minimum donation of this amount. My consulting is a minimum donation of a certain amount. And a donation does not have to be sliding scale. Just give whatever you want. It could be a minimum donation amount. And taking in donations and giving people tax deductible receipts for their donations and all that kind of stuff where there's a line is when you're selling products, especially when those products are not related to your mission. And so there's a lot of people that what they're wanting to accomplish involves a combination of nonprofit and for-profit activities. And one of the things I do is help people create a, a strategy by which they can accomplish all of their objectives through a combination of different legal vehicles, nonprofit and for-profit. And you can network them together. Like for instance, you can have a non-for-profit, let's say an LLC that takes care of a certain aspect of your business, like a web store or a shop that sells products that's very clearly for-profit. And you only have a tax return and a tax consequence on that activity and all the other nonprofit financial activity isn't part of that and isn't exposed in that tax form. It's separate. So the government is only being made aware of this narrow scope that has a tax consequence and you're only having to pay taxes on that narrow scope. And you can take all the deductions that you need. You can reinvest. But also, you can make the nonprofit church organization the managing or majority member of that LLC. So it becomes sort of, if you would, like a church-owned LLC. And then that LLC for-profit entity can give up a portion of its profits to the church and write those off of its taxes. Um, So that's just one example of a typical kind of strategy that we would create to create a a legal separation so that if your nonprofit is selling products, then it would need to declare that and pay taxes on that. And you would be a tax, you would have to justified to the government why you're paying taxes on some money but not on others and that's why we want to keep those separate i don't know if that answers your question or if you have a more to it,
4: it answers it for me Alico, if that's what you want, wondering like it, it makes sense Same. to me yeah oh we're, we're, we're dabbling in some radical shit here i love it <laughs> yeah
3: yeah i want to name that i do have to go at 3 30 and this is my zoom account so I don't know, like I, and I'm also not sure what Aliko talked to you about in terms of this service that you're offering to us. If um, there's any donation you were wanting, or if we like wanted more information from you, because we actually, like, you know, all talk about it and we decide we want to move forward with this and we want further consulting support. Like, I'm just curious if in the last couple of minutes, you could speak to where you're at around um, the possibility of partnership and and then yeah i feel like if that feels good to everyone else to just like wrap up in the time we originally allotted i know there's probably like a lot more we could talk about but knowing that we could always reach back out when we're more ready yeah i have a question
2: yep is it possible to reach back out i actually have a laundry list of questions that
0: yeah yeah I encourage you all to get together and write down all of your questions and either email them to me or just schedule a follow-up call. Either way is fine with me. Cool. Yeah. So to answer your question, if you decided that you wanted to work with me, how that would work is the next step would be, I send you a, a proposal and that proposal explains what I'm offering. The nature of our interaction everything that i'm offering so we're clear on that and it also has what i'm asking for in return um and just some basic points of agreement the donation that i ask for this service is five thousand dollars and that can be on a payment plan kind of thing and What is being offered is a fully formed nonprofit church organization that includes the EIN, the church EIN that I'll obtain from the IRS for you, and an indefinite period of support. So my goal, my mission really, is to create a movement based on this work. To create a renaissance where people can change, change the world on a local level by embodying these principles. And so I don't want to just empower you with all of these tools and then cut you loose on your own to get stuck or to fail or to make mistakes. Because there's no manual on the internet for how these organizations operate. So you basically have me on retainer for as long as you need to ask questions, to get guidance, to schedule calls with me for follow-up consulting for as long as you need. And if I can't answer your questions, I'll attempt to connect you with someone in my professional network who can and also Coming soon is a new association that I'm creating for all the people who are part of this movement or operating through private associations and churches and exploring these rabbit holes to be a part of one group that they can all network and share resources and knowledge, because these are all, these are private organizations. And the beauty is that they're private and so we get to operate in privacy. But what comes with that is there's all these amazing people like us creating these beautiful projects through these ministry organizations that are private. So we don't know that they exist. So I want to help bring it all together and create a support team to support the whole movement. So basically, yeah, you get me on retainer as your guide and, advisor for as long as you need. And it's for as long as we remain in resonance together.
4: Thank you. Just looking at time. Um, I, I don't mind just closing out from my end and then maybe we do just a quick little round. Thank you, Teo. I think we'll circle back up and get some questions kind of figured out and then figure out next steps and moving forward. But th- this all is really exciting. Yeah. I want to ask if it could be like five seconds, what's the timeline for creating it? Is it like years, months? For
0: what? For creating it? Yeah, for because yeah. I ask for a week to create the documents. Good. Good enough. Thank you. Yeah. And just so you know, I provide the documents complete. And I'll just say this one real quick say it quickly here because I know the time's running out. <clears throat> it can be a daunting task to ask someone to figure out what the governance structure of their board of directors is when they're just a few people in the beginning to articulate what their spiritual belief system is and a legal document and all this kind of stuff that could take someone months to develop and to figure out. And so in that time, your organization would not technically be fully formed and fully legit. So to avoid that, what I do is I provide the documents complete Every aspect is complete, so there's nothing missing. So there's no time pressure on you all to figure out all these things, articulate your belief system, your governance structure and stuff. Otherwise your organization isn't actually fully legit. All that is fully formed with placeholder information. The Tenants, Creeds, and Principles document has generic spiritual quotes just so that there's something and there's not a hole that needs to be filled, right? And so then you can take your time customizing those aspects of the document on your own pace. Because the documents are private, no one needs to see them unless you want to share them so no one knows that they're incomplete or you're still working on them or or what the, whatever the status is. And the government has a 13 point criteria of what they wanna see in order to consider your claim of religious freedom to be legit. However, because your documents are private, they have no way of looking at your documents to even determine if you meet their criteria. You literally exist under the assumption that you meet those criteria and they would have no way to know unless someone brought you to court and challenged your legitimacy on the basis of evidence of harm.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It looks like we got to go here. Thank you. um,
1: Yeah. I'm going to give you a quick call after this. So grateful for you and we will definitely
0: follow up. Okay, great. Bye y'all.
3: Thank you so much. So grateful.
1: Have a good rest of your day, everyone. Peace. Wow. I do not know what to do about that. That was amazing. Like I said, please email me if you want to talk about what we should do about that. Uh, My email is it's A-L-I-K-O, West, W-E-S-T-E, at gmail.com. Or you can go to uh, my website, Alico West, with an E at the end of West.com. And if you'd like to connect to Teo, you should check out his not exactly a website. I still hope he lets me build his one day. Um, but you should check out where you can schedule calls with him at Sovereign Soul Society. That's SovereignSoulSociety.setmore, S-E-T-M-O-R-E, dot com. And you can schedule with him uh, to, to talk to him. That's what I got for y'all today. May you be blessed. May you feel the earth underneath you, supporting you. May you feel your ancestors at your back. May you feel your heart open to the world around you with love for yourself and acceptance of others, and acceptance for yourself. May you we breathe into that acceptance of others and ourselves and continue flourishing, frolicking, thriving, sometimes even surviving in the world we live in today on planet Earth. It's such an honor to be with you all. And I'm so excited to continue to weave this epic tapestry of new beginnings for all the future generations that will walk in our footsteps. Stay amazing, stay
0: blessed, Aliko.